Viewpoint on Mormonism, the program that examines the teachings of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints from a biblical perspective. Viewpoint on Mormonism is sponsored by Mormonism Research Ministry. Since 1979, Mormonism Research Ministry has been dedicated to equipping the body of Christ with answers regarding the Christian faith in a manner that expresses gentleness and respect. And now, your host for today's Viewpoint on Mormonism. Are Latter-day Saints protected from evil when they make and keep their temple covenants? Welcome to this edition of Viewpoint on Mormonism. I'm your host, Bill McKeever, founder and director of Mormonism Research Ministry. And with me today is Eric Johnson, my colleague at MRM. Today we conclude our look at a conference message that was given by Mormon Apostle Dale G. Renlund. It was titled, Accessing God's Power Through Covenants. It is recorded in the May 2023 edition of the Leahona Magazine. It was a conference message that was given in April of 2023. We're to the portion now where Mr. Renlund is talking about the importance of keeping temple covenants. And as we've been explaining throughout this week, Temple covenants, like baptismal covenants, and the sacrament covenant, all have to do with keeping commandments. That's absolutely essential if Latter-day Saints hope to receive eternal life or exaltation in the next life. Well, in his talk, he says, By making and keeping temple covenants, we learn more about the Lord's purposes and receive a fullness of the Holy Ghost. We receive directions for our lives. He goes on to say, We receive increased capacity to fulfill our purposes in mortality. We are protected from evil, and we gain greater power to resist temptation and to repent when we stumble. The question that I asked at the beginning of this show has to do with, well, is that a truism. Are Latter-day Saints who keep their temple covenants actually protected from evil? His footnote for this goes back to the Kirtland Temple prayer that Joseph Smith gave, and I don't know if that was really the best verse he probably could have picked. I would have first thought that maybe 1 John 5.18 might have been better, but it's his, it's his sermon. He can pick whatever verse he wants, really. But when I look at what God has to say about protecting his own, he's not saying that we're protected from evil in this present life. Evil is going to affect us. What I get from 1 John 5.18 is talking about more in the terms of how the devil is not going to be allowed to have any effect on you because of your relationship with Christ. It's He is not going to be able to take your life. He is not going to be able to take away your salvation. Now, that might be difficult for a Latter-day Saint to embrace as far as losing their salvation because they do believe they can, or their exaltation, we could say, if they fail to keep their covenant. So it all kind of ties in. But then what does Renlin go on to say? Page 37, keeping covenants made in baptismal fonts and in temples also provides us with strength to withstand mortalities, trials, and heartaches. The doctrine associated with these covenants eases our way and provides hope, comfort, and peace. He goes on and tells the story of his grandparents, Lena Sophia and Mats Leander Renlin. They ended up joining the LDS Church in 1912. He says they were happy to be part of the first branch of the church in Finland. 
What ends up happening is Leander dies from tuberculosis, and Lena eventually not only buries her husband, but she buries seven of her ten children. And he says, as an impoverished widow, she struggled. For 20 years, she did not get a good night's rest. During the day, she scrambled to provide food for her family. At night, she took care of her dying family members. It's hard to imagine how she coped. Well, he goes on and says that she persevered because she knew that her deceased husband and children could be hers through the eternities. And that's through through temple blessings, he says. But then he writes this. In 1938, Lena submitted records so that temple ordinances could be performed for her deceased family members, some of the earliest submitted from Finland. After she died, temple ordinances were performed by others for her, Leander, and her deceased children. By proxy, she was endowed. Lena and Leander were sealed to each other, and their deceased children and my father were sealed to them. Like others, Lena died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, was persuaded of them and embraced them. What I got out of that story, Eric, is why did she persevere? She persevered so she could be with her family. And I think that was a very telling admission on the part of Dale Renlund, because it seems to expose why a lot of Latter-day Saints are doing what they're doing. All you need to do is to ask a Latter-day Saint, what is it that you hope for most in the next life? It seems like 99 out of 100, I probably say 9,999 out of 10,000, the answer is to be with my family. That was the motivation that caused his grandmother to persevere in the LDS faith. I don't see anywhere here that she wants to be with her Savior. Maybe it's because in Mormonism, Jesus' presence in the next life for Latter-day Saints is really non-existent. I don't know when Jesus finally goes home to Heavenly Father to stay with him and stay on their world somewhere else, but certainly the Jesus of Mormonism has no place in the eternal life of Latter-day Saints who actually gain eternal life, which of course needs to be defined. In Mormonism, eternal life is celestial exaltation. You must receive celestial exaltation if you hope to be with your family in the first place. But Jesus has no role in your eternal life. You're on your own, and you're starting the process over again. Now, Leander, technically, her husband, would become the god of their new world. She would become the goddess wife, you could say, and they will start procreating offspring to fill that world that they inherit as a result of being qualified for celestial exaltation. I think your point is valid, and I think the next paragraph actually more validates what you're saying. He's going to tie in the covenants with what he said in this talk with Lena. Lena lived as though she had already made these covenants in her life. She knew that her baptismal and sacramental covenants connected her to the Savior. Okay, you got that. But then he says, she let the sweet longing for the Redeemer's holy place bring hope to her desolate heart. Lena considered it one of God's great mercies that she learned about eternal families before experiencing the tragedies in her life. Through covenant, 
she received the power of God to endure and rise above the depressive pull of her challenges and hardships. From what I'm reading, Bill, it seems like all that she had to endure, losing her husband, losing most of her children, having to bury these these uh, children, what a terrible time she's had. But it was wanting to be in the holy place, not so much to be with the Savior, from what I'm gathering here, but that she'd get to be reunited with her families. You know, families are a good thing. We as Christians believe in families. But I think it's possible that families can almost become idolatrous. And it seems like for this story, Lena's biggest hope is to return back with her family. That's not what the Bible teaches is what we want. We want to be with Jesus for eternity. But do you sense a bit of a mixed message in the telling of this story? What I mean by that is, okay, so his grandmother remained faithful to the church. Does that really prove to us that she never got off this proverbial covenant path? I mean, if she was like most Latter-day Saints, at least the Latter-day Saints that I've come in contact with, you would think that she's going to struggle just as much as modern Latter-day Saints do with keeping all the commandments that are a part of the covenants that she must have made, at least when she partook of the sacrament. I would assume that she would have also made those same uh, similar covenants if she had gone through the temple. But according to this story, she never did that. This all had to be done by proxy. In other words, she's having to trust in other humans to make sure her salvation. Does that sound like the gospel that Paul is talking about in Galatians chapter 1? Do we see anything like that in the New Testament where our salvation depends on the faithfulness of other human beings outside of the person Jesus Christ? I would say heavens no. I think you're making a good point. What we said on Monday using Galatians chapter 1 is that all other gospels are anathema to God. He does not want any other gospel to take the place of the one that has been originally preached. That's what Paul taught. But Mormonism is teaching another gospel by saying that you have to stay on the covenant path, that you have to be obedient in order to be able to be exalted. All the rules and the regulations and the promises that you make that cannot be kept in the first place. So I think very clearly what we've established this week when it comes to the covenant path, Mormonism teaches another gospel. I want to go back as we conclude this week's series to what we read earlier in the week from Galatians chapter 1. Listen carefully to the urgent message that Paul puts forth and the warning that he gives us, those of us living today, reading his letter, where he said, I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel. What is he implying here? That if you're believing something must be done on your part to ensure your salvation, that is a different gospel. If you think that you need law to get you saved, that is a different gospel. Because Paul's going to make very clear in chapter 3 that if you want to get saved by law, hey, knock yourself out. But here's the rules. For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. 
If you want to be saved by law, you better keep the law. But you see what Mormonism does? It perverts the gospel of grace by trying to make it sound like it's both law and grace. That's not what Paul taught. You've said many times before on this show that the law is a terrible taskmaster because it demands all you have and are unable to provide. And I certainly didn't make that up because Paul implies that very clearly, that if you want to do this, okay, but don't you stop to rest because you're going to get whipped when that happens. Paul goes on to say that even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what you have received, let him be accursed. As I said on Monday, it can be easily misunderstood that by our urgency and by the tone in our voice when we show the errors of Mormonism, that a Mormon might assume that somehow we must not like them because we don't like the nuances in their faith. Really, it's just the opposite. It's because we have a genuine concern for them as individuals and because we do want the Latter-day Saint to put their trust not in the perverted gospel of Mormonism, but in the gospel that's talked about in the New Testament. If you're unfamiliar with what that gospel is, I strongly encourage you to read the New Testament and find out. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information regarding Mormonism Research Ministry, we encourage you to visit our website at www.mrm.org, where you can request our free newsletter, Mormonism Researched. We hope you will join us again as we look at another viewpoint on Mormonism.